myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Hi, welcome to Myth, Magic, and Medicine. Today's guest is Elizabeth Hughes, a Stanford-trained physician, dermatologist, who was practicing for a couple of decades before she had a little bit of a change of direction. So I'm just going to open it up to Elizabeth to tell you about herself a bit and what led her to realize that the way we've been trained in Western medicine was not the answer to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. It really is good to be here. Thanks. Um, Okay. So, um, what happened for me was sort of this one patient that that led to a series of other me- moments or epiphanies, but maybe I don't know how many medical people are going to be watching this, but so this was this, this patient who came to me. So I'm a dermatologist and, you know, bread and butter sort of dermatology is, is what I do. I do a, a fair bit of surgery. And a woman came to me who was in her early 80s. But other than a leg ulcer, she was in perfect health. She had no underlying conditions that would give her a leg ulcer or make it so that the ulcer couldn't heal or anything like that. But what happened for her was after a small injury to her leg, which she took care of properly, the, the, um, the sore didn't heal. Like she, she basically, she'd walked in, you know, the open dishwasher door, she'd walked right into that corner, you know, like right to that edge. You can just, you can just picture it. She'd scratch her leg. She did all of the first aid things. You know, she washed and put a bandage on it. When it didn't heal a week later, she went to a doctor. The doctor said, well, maybe it's infected and took a culture and gave her antibiotics and it got worse. Oh, well, maybe it's the wrong antibiotics, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So back and forth and back and forth. Um, for months, and I don't mean like a few weeks, I mean like six months, she had gone to all of her doctors, her doctor's partners. She had been going to wound care, um, getting twice a week wrapped up in the latest bandages, um, the, the wood, you know, the type of thing that you use for burn, for people with burns. Um, uh, she had seen a vascular surgeon, had ultrasounds, really everything had been done. And because she had been going to wound care twice a week for about three months, we had brilliant measurements that showed every week, despite doing exactly what you were supposed to do, the ulcer was getting larger, <laughs> not smaller. The op- And I send people to wound care all the time for leg ulcers. And you know, like, I know mm-hmm. what it's supposed to happen. The opposite was happening. So somewhere along the way, she had developed an allergy to one, some component of the bandaging that had been done on her leg. Because you know, every few weeks when nothing was happening, they switched it up and they tried something else on the leg. And somewhere along the way, she developed a, 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 an allergy. And so when, uh, and the question to me that came as a dermatologist what, from a general surgeon said, okay, we're going to have to do a graft mm-hmm. and I need to know what we can bandage her with later on. All right. That was, mm-hmm. that was the question for me, the dermatologist. Like, was, that, us, that, was that the first point you met her? or did That was the first point it? I met her. So that this, this, um, this leg ulcer that had been going on, everybody had given up on it healing naturally. Mm-hmm. She was 
destined for a skin graft. The, the mm -hmm. patient herself told me that the, the, um, the surgeon said, well, you've got a 50% shot for this to work. Like even oh. the, even the, the surgeon said, well, you know, I don't think this is, you know, this is not a hundred percent shot. It's still going to need to heal. and we, It's still going to need to heal. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so she unwrapped her leg and this, um, she was from knee to midfoot, you know, the whole area of the bandage. She had a raging contact dermatitis, reds, scaly, blistery, weeping. And she had an ulcer that we were looking at tendon now on the lateral side of her leg. Mm -hmm. We're down all from a little cut and all because she had gotten absolutely appropriate medical care. She had not missed an appointment. She had every taken every pill of antibiotics the whole way along, right? Mm -hmm. The whole way. Done everything. The perfect Done patient. <laughs> everything. And here's what happened. She said to me, you know, I, you're talking medical things, but what she said to me was this. She said, everyone tells me I'm old and I'm just going to have to get used to this. And, and something in me, like at that moment, I could just sort of, I don't normally, I, I don't normally sort of get forceful or strong or say no to patients, but as, <laughs> and I definitely don't think I swear normally because you know, to patient, but I think what I said was that's BS, you know, like, like mm -hmm. that's BS. And, and what happened? She's just like, really? Nobody has told me that this could ever heal. Every mm -hmm. single doctor, every single wound care nurse, every single, everybody had told her so from the very beginning, she'd been told it would be difficult because it was a very minor injury. It was a very minor injury, very minor injury. And nobody had told her along the way that it could heal. Okay, so back to the medical things. I don't make much of this moment. I just mm -hmm. go on my merry doctor way. And as a dermatologist, the protocol for taking care of testing for allergies in a person who has a a, an active dermatitis is you have to wait for the dermatitis to settle down. Like I cannot do allergy testing on someone who's already reactive. Mm -hmm. It will just, it will just be worse. So I did what I would do for anyone else. Vaseline, a loose gauze, change it once a day. Don't put anything else on it. Come back and see me in three weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I, and my, in my mind, I was like, okay, we're going to start the testing and you know, the patch mm -hmm. testing for the contact allergy. She comes back in three weeks later, and this time, oh, I, I forgot to mention that this leg, it was on her right leg, so she could no longer drive. Prior to this, she had been driving and going, playing golf twice a week. I mean, she was a totally- It was really debilitating. Yeah. It was completely okay. debilitating. Yeah. So her daughter, who lived about 50 miles away, had been coming in to drive her to wound care twice a week. And so it was totally messing up her daughter's life. So this time, when she came back, when the patient came back to see me three weeks later, the second time her daughter walked in, was with me instead of waiting in the waiting room. And the, the patient said, I don't know if I did this right. I'm like, you can't mess this up. Let me look. Mm -hmm. So I removed the bandages. I cut the bandages off and it's all healed. In three it's, weeks. In three weeks. In three weeks. The, the contact dermatitis is completely gone, which was like pretty amazing pretty, yeah, to have no right. Yeah. But the ulcer was gone three weeks. Of, if, of, even if she hadn't had that long history, a three week 
to cure such a deep wound is pretty is, is, un, is yeah. completely impressive. Yeah. And it was it was one of these moments that just stayed with me because mm -hmm. I, I thought to myself, how many times have I sent a person to wound care for something that I didn't think would heal? And, and reinforce that. Like, what yeah, are yeah. my biases that I may be passing on to patients? And, and what is the power that we're not harnessing in medicine? Like, yeah. what would have happened? And as we, as I have mentioned to you earlier when we were talking, that, that this sort of led me to a series of little smaller epiphanies that made me just realize that power of the subconscious, the power of the body to heal itself, and but how your subconscious assumptions, I don't want to call them beliefs, like how your assumptions play into your healing yeah. ability. And these, this, she wasn't necessarily thinking these things to herself anyway, although no. she had, by the time you saw her, she was already beaten down by it because it had taken so long. Exactly. Golf a couple times a week. I mean, she was the 83 year old. She took an aspirin a day. That was her medicine yeah. list. And she had a zero problems, like as a medical history, mm -hmm. she had none. And so she was the picture of health. And so clearly she had probably an unexamined belief of her health, but the medical system is so biased toward thinking about illness, illness focused, that it just sort of rubs off on people, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Like it just rubs off on people. And, you know, to talk about some other, you know, uh, epiphanies that came along. So when I would have to go into the hospital to do consults, um, you know, I used to love to go into the hospital. I was like, oh, this is where people get well. Like, I'm going to go in and make people well. And now I walked in, you know, I walked in and I said like, oh my goodness, this is a temple to illness. Yeah. <laughs> we put illness on a pedestal. And yes, not to say that there aren't good things that happen. And not to say that you don't have to use medical treatments, but what if the underlying assumption was wellness and the power of the body to, to heal mm -hmm. and use all the tools that we've got? How would that shift medicine and health in general? It's a, it's a fascinating question. Absolutely. Great. Well, of course, you know, with my own, my own interest in hypnosis being used in the medical mm -hmm. field, yeah, entirely. Yeah. Uh, subconscious beliefs right. drive so right. much. How has this experience uh, changed your own practice? Oh, dramatically. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to explain? <laughs> well, so, so I, once I, well, first off, I will say that I spend a lot of time saying, oh, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to ignore that. And then in the middle of the night, I would wake up and, and have these little moments where it would, you know, I get the, you're doing medicine wrong. Like the, the uh, voice of wisdom would come to me at three in the morning saying, you're doing it wrong. And, and I was like, okay, I have to look into this. Mm -hmm. So it took me a long time to step into it, but I eventually um, got a health coaching certification. I do uh, not hypnosis, but another subconscious belief changing technique. I was trained in, in a technique called Psyche. And I did, I've got to say, a, like a huge variety of other studies. I became a yoga instructor and my yoga 
training course was very, very heavily on the, uh, uh, we went into Ayurveda, which most mm-hmm. yoga training courses don't have to. Uh, I almost considered um, getting a certification as an Ayurvedic practitioner, which you can hear in the Washington state area. There's a very good naturopathic medical college very close to me, and they had an Ayurveda program, but it didn't work out for me to do that, but I, mm-hmm. it was an option. It's tempting. <laughs> I, I studied with a shaman for a year. So, so I just, it expanded my, my horizon. And I did this sort of in the background while I was still practicing medicine for a while. Mm-hmm. Like nobody would really know, like, you know, like she's did, spending the day doing surgery and at night she's in a drum circle, you know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. So, so were you, did, were you intentionally hiding it or you just didn't see the opportunity to bring it up? Because most of us, you you worry about, oh, I'll be that woo-woo doctor instead right. of the real doctor. And and it's just, no, but none of us, I think, and certainly nobody watching this channel, please believe that we should throw away Western medicine. <laughs> That's got some value too. But there are so many other things that we ignore that, that because you can't put it in a box and it's harder to charge for. I mean, there's, there's certain mechanics of the business of medicine but but a lot of it I think is just this fear that it's just woo-woo right well I then I switched gears from a large multi-specialty sort of conventional medical group to joining a small group of uh, doctors in a very small medical practice who all had an interest in this I was able to find and it was a combination of MD so it was an interesting combination because there were there were MDs there were also naturopaths there were um, uh, there were some there was a chiropractor there there was a one of the naturopaths was also a chiropractor there were massage therapists there was one of the naturopaths was also an Ayurvedic practitioner so we were in this sort of like conglomeration where we were able to work together on that. And so I was, you know, a dermatologist some of the time while I was there, but I was also the coach, the, you know, deep subconscious belief person because I didn't have someone like that. And so Mm -hmm. while I was in that space, I had, you know, my dermatology office and then down the wall (laughs) and my coaching office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Were you coaching physicians or were you coaching whoever whoever needed to be coached. It, it was patience, but, and so, and then I also had my own coaching practice on, on the, you know, like, uh, you know, so, so that was my coaching practice. I was able to walk in two worlds for a while, mm-hmm. but what was really interesting was a, about 50% of the people who were finding me were medical doctors, mm-hmm. dentists, nurses. They were coming to me for, um, their own health concerns and recognize the limitations. And they were the one, they weren't, you know, (laughs) saying anything to anyone else, but yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, I had, I had all sorts of people. And, and by this time I had also opened up my practice to something that was, um, you know, online and working online, uh, Mm -hmm. as well. And so I was attracting people from all over the place, you know, sort of, um, people who were medical and I recognized within the, you know, the medical professionals that I was seeing that there was such an enormous need in their own lives to bring this integration of, I hate to use the word body and mind because it sounds a little bit trite, but I mean that not just in the sort of mind body medicine Mm -hmm. realm. I mean, really, really 
um, harnessing the power of what the body can do and how the 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 unquestioned part of your mind drives mm-hmm. that. Right. That's, that's the part that's you don't it, think about. It's just there in the background doing right. its thing. Yeah. And eventually, actually, uh, at the end of 2020, so it's been a little bit more than a year as of the time we're recording this now, at the end of 2020, I actually left medical practice, the medical side of the practice entirely. Um, And this is because my own continued growth was made it difficult for me to, what do I want to say? to not open my mouth <laughs> about mm-hmm. what I saw in a lot of, of the dermatology practices. You know, I'd see so many people uh, coming in for things like psoriasis uh, and just like, just give me the new drug. Just give me the drug that's on television. I'm like, you know, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't, that's I, not right for you. And guess what? Um, there's some other things that you need to be doing first. And, right. and, and, and because here's the thing, I had had a person um, who had psoriasis, like this was another one of these little epiphanies, you know, afterwards, a woman with psoriasis where, you know, again, this little, little belief sort of changed everything. And, you know, you know, we had a little conversation about her loving herself the way she loved her children and doing for herself what she would do, you know, for a child. And Mm -hmm. I didn't see her again. This is someone I had seen, you know, every three months for years. I didn't see her again until she brought her daughter in for, you know, like warts or something like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, how, how is your, oh, it's gone. How's your psoriasis? Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. <laughs> like people don't even recognize. Oh yeah, no, right. it's gone. Right. It's done. <laughs> like, okay, there we go. Now, do you think there's hope to get this message to Western medicine? I mean, there are a few places where hypnosis is studied in, you know, Duke University has a section and Stanford, your old haunting ground. Right, uh, right. Those, those do too. But but it, in general, they aren't much, they don't much speak about it. Yes, there is. There's a great deal of interest. Absolutely, there is hope. But is the, the bigger question, I think, is, is what's going to take for this to become part of the mainstream, part of, you know, your treatment plan, you know, instead of, you know, like the treatment plan, I'm, you know, you know, first beta blockers and Chelsea channel blockers right. or whatever it is. Where instead is it of, going to start? How do we look at what you eat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's, it is going to, it is, um, it is going to take quite a bit because medicine absolutely must have data. Like we all want evidence-based medicine and we all want to have um, a protocol for this thing. Okay. So follow me here, but we got to follow the money. Mm -hmm. So that requires research and money. Now, at the moment, people may not realize this, but something on the order of 80 to 85% of all research money is, is industry, pharmaceutical mm-hmm. company. And that wasn't, even when I went to medical school, it was kind of 50-50 government and research. It's right. now overwhelmingly. So even yep. places like Stanford, where I did my residency, gets money from industry. And of course, what does industry want? They want blockbuster grubs. And so that's not going to make it into a journal. And then it's not going to make it into your standard of care guidelines. And so, and it's not going to be paid for by insurance. So we've got this, um, 
And it doesn't matter what the, I mean, I often say that we could fill entire medical libraries with information about how, you know, self-healing, about, you know, the power of the subconscious, about what hypnosis or, uh, you know, and art therapy or whatever you want. You could fill a medical library with all the evidence, but it's not as much as the, we can fill, you know, like a shopping mall <laughs> with, with all the other stuff about how, you know, the, the pharmaceuticals, like, so there is evidence. It's not that there is, but there's just this profound, mm -hmm. there's an avalanche of the stuff that's been paid for. Yeah. And that's where the problem comes. Um, I, you know, I strongly believe that if, well, let me see how I can put this politely. It's okay, I can edit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, it's not going to be edited. There is a real problem with the way, especially in the United States, that medical care is paid for, uh -huh. that, that that plays into it. Medical care is, you know, the insurance companies make a profit off your illness. And so, you know, your treatment needs to be as cheap as possible to get some sort of reasonable outcome. And I mean, mm -hmm. I, I use that like reasonable outcome because it's not really good health. So if there's anything else additional, it's not going to no, be paid for. for. There's not going to be paid for. So uh, I actually think part of the getting it into Western medicine is for the general public to realize what a disservice their insurance is doing for them and having them recognize that either these need to be uh, coordinated into treatment or to just say, this is important enough and I'm going to, to you know, use these techniques, mm -hmm. you know, you know out of pocket because it's that important. It's as, as important as, you know, whatever else. Yeah, good. Yeah. Thank you. I was, <laughs> I was a fire hose. Uh, <laughs> which know, is great, right? which is great. Because it, it's so interesting. There are so many different ways to approach the subconscious. <laughs> You've, um, did you say you'd studied Reiki or my Mixing no, I haven't studied Reiki. Reiki. Yeah, no, I haven't done Reiki. But absolutely, all of these wonderful biofield therapies and and sub I mean, it's it is amazing what is available. And what's wonderful is the nursing tradition has that. It's mm -hmm. sort of built. It, it may not be part of the main curriculum, but there is a tradition of healing touch and and um, that came from the nursing background mm -hmm. that um, we doctors need to bring in. And, you know, we doctors like I'm a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm like, <laughs> well, guess what? We need we need more of that patient level caring right there was a, a big put when i was a resident which is back in the 80s so i'm an old person uh they there was a big um high high touch high tech was the sort of the, the mantra that right. we, we did we the nurses were were massaging NICU babies which is lovely we suddenly started talking about skin to skin so whisking babies away from their mothers and, and doing all that all the tech stuff but none of the support stuff right and we we but it's baby steps and, and we seem to realize these things and then pull back. And it's probably finances that do it. 
No, you right. can't prove to me that doing that did anything. So we're going to stop doing it. <laughs> right. Which is, yeah. Right, 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 right. Right. And it's, um, and of course, it's very hard to do placebo studies on mm -hmm. these things, unfortunately, because the mere act of being in a study is a placebo effect. Right. And there's there's great, you know, in the, um, I think it's the Harvard School of Placebo Studies with Ted Kapchuk, who has done, has done these studies where people just, I, I can't remember what they did, but they took a handful of people with, uh, with, um, you know, a, a medical condition or something like that and just monitored their data. And somehow they got IRB approval for them, the people not to be known that they were in a study. And then they had people who were in the study, but were told they were, you know, like, we're just enrolling. So we're going to wait and we're going to see you when you're in your, you know, when we're all ready, we're going to start the protocol. Mm -hmm. And then they had people they actually put in the protocol and the people who were in the waiting room <laughs> for the study mm -hmm. did almost as well as the people, you know, it's yeah. almost the same level of, of, um, improvement is the people who are in the the actual protocol that they're that like that's just the feeling of hope mm -hmm. that's a and uh, that feeling of hope is um is kind of missing from medicine when we're all trying to be realists and we're all as i will say again we doctors we're afraid of being sued for not you know living up to our promises so we never promise life. anything yeah never promise anything so that woman with the with the leg there was no human way if, if a second person walked in <laughs> and I would never say, oh yeah, I can get that healed in three weeks. Yeah. Right. Just look at, I would never do that because you know, yeah, it's always couch with well, most people, <laughs> right? Most yeah. people, most people. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I hope you'll come back again and we can talk about some more stuff. That would be great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This Bye. has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.